Hi, Stellar Women. It's Blair Cohen signing on as a solo host for the first time. As many of you know, Mary and Mila are no longer with Relativity, but they left us with the gift of some killer content in the vault that we just have to share. Join Mary and Mila as they sit down with DEI champion Nicole Kelsey as they discuss allyship, combating burnout, making mistakes, taking accountability, and the importance of language as we create a dialogue in the DEI space. Now, in the words of Nicole, show up, shut up, listen, and learn. Nicole, welcome. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Um, we have so much that we want to get through. You know, Mary and I left our introductory call, which we had which happened before this recording. So excited to chat to you. And I almost found us wanting to like pause conversation because you were just saying such exciting things and you have such a great perspective. So we kind of wanted to save it all for this podcast episode. So I'm going <laughs> to right in with questions if that's okay. Of course. Okay. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so what is your motivator for DEI work and how do you avoid burnout? Um, you know, it seems so many people fail to care or do something about it, but it really takes this ongoing motivation and maintenance. So can you kind of talk us through where your motivation comes from and how you keep going? Sure. When I think about DEI work, for me, it's just another phase in my life of being very active with social justice issues. So, and that really comes from, you know, my beginning, my origination story, right? So I know that I show up a tall, blonde, blue-eyed American girl who likes to do sports, but I'm actually half French Algerian. And because of that, I speak a couple of languages and study a couple other languages. And I've always kind of been the silent person in the room who has suffered anti-Arab and anti-Muslim commentary in our educational system, in professional venues, in our society at large my entire life. So for me, that pushed me from a very young age. Um, I, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a lawyer. And I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be working in the international sphere and using my languages. Originally, I thought I'd uh, be a diplomat, not be an actual lawyer who practiced law every day. So fr from that perspective or that that starting point, DEI for me is in my blood. It's who I am. I, I carry the flag uh, so strongly because I believe in it so strongly. I believe that uh, we're all here, hopefully, to make change for the better, to improve our world for the better. So that's that's my motivator. It's it's just a big part of who I am. I've been blessed by color and education and profession to become an advocate in my life. So it's it's really been a big part of who I am as I practice law is advocating always for the ones who have less, right? Not necessarily always the underdog, but definitely the ones who are not always in the room, who are not don't always have the same privileges that I've had and that others around me have had. So that's that's the motivator is just it's part of my own identity. How I avoid burnout is a really good question because when you work in the space all the time, every day, you can get pretty disheartened, right? You can get, can be, it can be a huge bummer. Let's put it that way. When you're a woman in the room and you're looking at a 30 year anniversary of practicing law and you're hearing the same things in the room that you heard as a first year associate in the law, right? Um, and I've had that happen to me, unfortunately, more than once. <laughs> so it can bring you down. I think the way that I avoid burnout I read a lot, so I've really focused on education. And when I 
when you read a lot, you end up talking to people about what you're reading and what they're reading, and they lead you to other things. So the dialoguing is super important. I think it, it, it keeps you informed. It hits an automatic refresh button for you. And the, the constant flow of education and the constant flow of dialogue helps me bring myself back to center and stay focused on, on leading, right? And not letting the disheartening things, the things that sadden you, the things that depress you even take over. It, it, it reinvigorates um, my desire to kind of fight the good fight. Let's put it that way. I really like that. But taking it beyond, you know, just your experience, what could seem super insular at times, like, oh, am I making a difference? This has been 30 years and I'm still hearing this outdated mindset or whatever. But when you're kind of looking at what's going on in the world and what's going on in the GI space at large, there's been so much progress and that has to be motivating. So I, I really like your take on that. Yeah, I mean, even just yesterday, I was talking to one of our outside litigators who's been doing the litigation for our company really since the IPO. So we're, you're talking over a decade. So he knows the company really well. He's a partner at a you know well-established, you know, big five California law firm here in the Bay Area and the Valley. And he's pushing really hard, despite the fact that he's a cisgender white man, right? He's pushing really hard to promote this summer internship program that he's been developing for the past five years into a diversity internship. And he said, listen, we're trying to fix stuff. We're trying to fix what we didn't get right. You know, we're trying to fix what we didn't get right 10 years ago. And, you know, there, there's no perfect system, right? And so when, we were, when I was talking to him about it and we're, we were focused on one particular summer intern that he's trying to bring to his program and, and then share with our company, so knock on wood, that happens uh, for four weeks this summer to intern with us within my legal team. I, I, what I told him was there's no perfect recipe, right? You can't undo history and you can't, you can't necessarily have a perfect conversation all the time, but you can, you can keep trying, right? And so that's... I think that's what matters is it's okay to reset. It's, it's actually, I'll go even broader. It's okay to make mistakes. Um, as long as you're, you are plugged in, you have, you try to exercise self-awareness and none of us are perfect. You are accountable for your mistakes and you, you hit that reset button. And again, I think the dialogue is what helps all of us stay connected, take accountability, hit the reset, go back at it with a fresh perspective whatever the, whatever the it is, whatever your DEI effort is in that moment. Awesome. And when we originally started talking to you about DEI, the conversation was very much crooks and allyship. And you said you have a unique yeah. take on allyship. <laughs> so I would love, you know, really, you know, thought provoking. And I think it's a very important conversation because without yeah. spoiling too much, I'll let you kind of speak to it, but you often hear I'm an ally, I'm an ally, but what are you really doing that embodies allyship? So why don't I, give you the floor here. What's your take on allyship? What's not an yeah. ally? Yeah, thank you. Yes, my, my point of view is definitely not a popular one. I joke around, a half joke, I'm also quite serious, uh, with other groups, right? Affiliation groups. So whether it's a woman's group or the LGBTQ group at my company or the BIPOC group at my company or other similar groups in my networks, right? That are focused on racial equality and equity issues. I invariably at some point in all of these conversations, the question will come up, should we include allies? Here's a, here's a super basic example that any feminist, any DEI warrior has faced as a woman, you know, in our country in the past, you know, several years, let alone past couple of decades. Uh, when I joined the board of the women's group at my company, this was back in the summer of 2019, 
shortly after my joining, we were we were looking to kind of refresh programming. And part of that was, what is our mission statement? So we got to drafting the mission statement. And on the board, it's very diplomatic, right? Uh, on our board, I don't come into the board with a, you know, with a mantle of executive leadership. I come in as a fellow board member and that's it. Who happens to practice law? Because there are several scientists on our board as well because we're a science company. Um, and the scientists range from, you know, 15 years with the company to, you know, to, you know, they're in their first or second year with the company. So very junior in their careers. And the question came about when we talk about ourselves in our mission statement, when we define ourselves, should we add allies as essential members of our group? And I was very adamant that the answer was no. And I'll tell you why. I don't think that allies are a prerequisite for success in, a, in any DEI effort. I think that what matters is the dialogue. So most importantly in the dialogue that the individual or individuals or the group of individuals, if it's a group, um, which it often is in the DEI space, um, affiliation groups, um, affinity groups, et cetera, it's important that they have a voice in the room and often that it be just their voice in the room because this is the first time and sometimes their entire experience from you know grade school and high school and undergrad and, and grad school to the professional sphere, it's the first time that they've been allowed to speak first, to speak the most, to be the only one speaking in the room where everyone else has to listen. So the, the flip side of having the right to exercise your voice is for everyone else to have the obligation to listen. And that's what I think makes a real ally. Again, I referenced earlier the fact that I show up and people think, oh, she's just, you know, some, you know, another blonde, you know, blue-eyed American lady, right? I spend a lot of my time listening in the room. And again, partly because I believe that the way to change is through education. So it's me activating for my own self-education, right? But also to take in the perspectives and then be able to act on them. I think that's what an ally is, someone who shows up. Should you invite people who are not in your, you know, your microcosm, your defined group? Of course, the invitation should always be there. But I, I think that where the emphasis on allies and allyship, I think that where it fails in the DEI space, if I can go so far as to say that, is when it shifts the focus off of the affiliation group, off of the disenfranchised, the marginalized people who are trying to exercise their voice, and back onto the, the people who've always had the power. That's where I get angry as an advocate and I become adamant in my stand, like I took with the women's group a couple summers ago. And I said, listen, I don't believe that we need to add allies in the way that we define ourselves. I think that it is right and enough. I think that you have completely done your analysis and closed off the loop when you define yourself as you are. The allies will come because the dialogue will be open. The dialogue will be inviting, but we don't have to define ourselves by what we are not. And again, the definition is very important. I'm, I feel really strongly about language. I'm a linguist. I admitted that up front. And I think it matters, the labels that you, the vocabulary you use and the labels you put on things. So that's why <laughs> my approach to allyship is kind of F-bomb allyship, you know, show up, shut up, listen and learn, right? So it's really an obligation on you, the person who already has the power in and outside of the room to show up and listen and educate yourself. But it's not an obligation. It's, it's not your right other than to listen. That's your right. But it's not an obligation on those who don't have the power 
the ones who are trying to put a stake in the ground and gain some access for themselves. And, and that's a power conversation. It's their right to just simply state their perspective. And that's enough. You talk about the importance of a successful ally is somebody who shows up and listens. It doesn't, yeah. you know, he or she doesn't dominate the conversation. Is there something beyond listening, you know, showing up and listening that makes for a successful ally? What would be something that a continuous ally does beyond listening? If there is something. Sure. Sure. Participating definitely is, is the obvious next step. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Again, I'll take the women's group at my company. When I joined, I of course was back to back that day. So I got into the meeting room a little bit late and they had already got at it. My fellow board members had already whiteboarded, I don't know, I would say up to 15 different ideas of things that they thought that we should roll out as a women's group. And then I, I sat down, I you know read the whiteboard, assessed what was going on. And they asked me to join in the conversation and for my perspective. And I said, if it's okay with all of you, my suggestion is to take all 14 of those off the whiteboard and focus on one thing deliver one thing this coming year, which is a set up, found and establish and run a mentoring program for women at our company, right? We have the unique pleasure, I think it's pretty unique in biotech and elsewhere, where a majority of the women at the top of the house, at the executive level, are, you know, there's a majority of the executive leadership team is comprised of women. And there are a lot of women at the first and second levels of the company. There are a lot of scientists who come in to our company. I'm sure it's 50%, probably 50-50, if not um, skewed even more for women at the entry levels. But there's a gap between the, like most companies, there's that gap in the mid and mid-high regions where you lose women, right? Across the trajectory of their career path. And I think that mentoring can make a huge difference. And I said, again, to get to cycle back to the mission statement, conversation that we had, I'm going to be a little bit adamant and how I advise us to set this new mentoring program up. I believe it should be launched for women by women. That's what we should be messaging to the company. And we did that. And it was so successful that we didn't even get through our first year. We're now on, you know, 2.0 of the program because it's a huge success, but it was so successful in the first year that several men raised their hands uh, at our company, men at executive levels, and said, I'd really like to participate. And one man, a fellow member of the executive team with me, said, listen, I have a wife who suffered from never having a mentor in her profession. I have sisters. I have nieces. This matters to me. I, I want to be able to give back. I want to help. In my mind, that's an ally. That's somebody who listened, who watched something get launched by, an again, an affiliated group of people in which he does not necessarily a defined member, but he wants to join and help. He wants to support and propound on the same change for good that we were, we were seeking to do by setting up the program. That's a perfect example of a successful ally story, I think. And it grew naturally. It was organic. It wasn't a solicitation. It wasn't forced. And it's when, for me, I think, again, the failure an allyship and the when the dynamic is negative for the for the marginalized and the disenfranchised is when they are made to feel like they have an obligation to solicit allies they have an obligation to it's almost as if they're being required to ask permission to express themselves to express their own voices and that's where I think the, the formula goes awry and I think that that's when allies the focus on allies and the, the requirement of allyship fails. Yeah. And I, I have a thought like, 
What would you say to, I mean, I've experienced in various women's groups, you know, just in my life where sometimes, you know, it's a women's event and we're talking about topics that are highly relevant to women. And it ends up being a bit of like a preaching to the choir type of like, rah, rah, like we're all experiencing this together. And we really need, you know, the sometimes the change makers happen yeah. to happen to be our you know male counterparts or so be it and i think there's kind of a struggle getting them in the room without as you said it being like forced and having to kind of explain this to you know so you have a male boss like hey i really want you to attend this because i think it will benefit me what advice do you have if it's people who are creating the programs or people who are in those groups to kind yeah. of organic shift of having allies come to the group but without it being the onus on the group members of bringing them in yeah i mean i think that um part of it is your programming again, you know, what was that baseball movie? If you build it, they will come, right? I mean, that 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 applies here, right? The programming matters. If you do something that is interesting and well-researched and educational and informative and awareness raising, people will show up of all walks of life, right? All sizes and shapes and colors and 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 religions and political viewpoints, right? Here's another example. This is something that my legal team does, but we launched uh, during the pandemic a lunch and learn series. And we do two a year. This year we'll be doing lunch and learn series four and five. And we've had a, a huge turnout of 35%, 50% of, of the employee base showing up, dialing in for an hour and a half to learn about the U.S. Electoral College to, that was one of them, you know, the history of it, the, the politics behind it, how it fails, what are the alternatives, what's a, how do we compare globally, what's the global perspective? That's just one example. And everyone shows up for that, all, all kinds of different people, because the programming is valid in itself. And all you need is for them to show up. And then the dialogue will always happen organically, right? So I think the programming matters. And then I think that to go back to what you you said originally, when you, we all get in a room and we're all just clacking at each other, right? And we're all complaining about the same stuff or, you know, or commiserating with each other. I think that your obligation there, and I have the benefit of age, I have the benefit of having done this for a really long time now, is for some of the senior people in the room to resolve the conversation or close out the meeting with some suggestions of how to affect change individually when you walk out of the room, right? How do you, how do you have a different conversation with your manager the next time? How do you behave when, yes, you have, you've been invited into the room, you even have a seat at the table, but you don't feel that you have a voice, right? You don't feel like, or you feel like you've, ex you've expressed your voice and someone else takes credit for what you've said, or, or they're not listening to you at all. So to give each other advice, and also there are programs you can set up, right? Where you teach each other these tools and mentoring is a good way to learn some of these tools as well, because you have a real live person who's been there and done that. And you bounce ideas off from literally what you're living in right now. I had this conversation. It was negative. How do I make sure this doesn't repeat, right? That I'm not in some kind of vicious circle. And we all benefit from those conversations, mentors and mentees. So you have to always focus, I think, when you're in the room to try to resolve the meeting with some suggestions for individual and group action items that you can do to affect change. Again, I think that some of these conversations you can't have until you're senior enough, right? I'm, again, I did not do, I did not behave the way I behave now 25 years ago when I was starting to practice law. No way. But I, I have found myself in rooms where I've heard something happen 
and it is absolutely gender biased, right? And it is harmful to women in the in the professional space. And I literally have had the thought, oh my God, this is happening again. And I'm just too old to stay quiet. Like I just, I can't effing take it anymore. And I'm going to say something. And then I say something. And it is sometimes harsh. Uh, the men in the room are shocked. They come to me afterwards and we have a, a, a carry on conversation. Have I always said exactly the right thing? Of course not, because I've reacted emotionally as well as intellectually in the moment. It's a spontaneous reaction as someone who believes strongly in DEI causes and is a feminist. I, I, I speak from the heart, right? But I think that I own that. I own that I could have, and I say, oh, I could have handled that better. I could have written a softer email. I could have said that. I could have taken that offline and just, just had the conversation with you and me. But I also think to myself, it's okay to make mistakes because the principle behind what I was doing was just the principle. The reason why I did it was right. And I, and I'll stand by that reason. I'll stand by that principle, always course correcting and trying to do it better the next time. And then I'll say one other thing that isn't very popular. Even when I've said or written something that hasn't been received super positively because it's come off as quote unquote, too harsh or too strong or too intimidating. I thought to myself, you know, that's fair. That's fair feedback. But this, the little devil in, in the details that keeps playing his own little violin in my mind says, I bet that that person will think twice before he does that again. And that to me is positive change that I have put a little devil in his mind. The next time he goes to write an email that's exclusive, the next time he goes to say something that is, uh, you know, harmful to women in the workplace or any, any affiliate group doesn't have to be women. I'm just using that as, as the reason, because that's the example I have in my mind right now of, of certain behaviors creating that pause in someone else who has power and who has had power his whole life. And he got it just because of, you know, just because of what he was born into. That's a, that's a success for me. I, I take that as a success. And I think to myself, yeah, I might not be his favorite person, but he'll think twice before he does something that's harmful like that again. You're like speaking my love language <laughs> in a lot of ways. I, um, I also have like a harsher tone or more direct tone sometimes. And there have been plenty of times where I'm like, okay, I should have reflected on that. But there have been times where the reasons or the emotions or whatever was sparked were very valid. So it's great to hear, especially all-star woman and senior leadership that you're excelling. And that's part of like what makes you a huge advocate for this. So you said something like early in your career, you didn't necessarily, you weren't in a position to do that. So let's say you were, again, a younger associate, um, still had that passion. Would you feel like you could articulate? Yes. Now is the world different? I think that, I don't think that the, I think that the world is a little bit different. I think that, I think that it just depends on the day. Some days I'm like, wow, this is, that was awesome. I, I would never have had that kind of conversation before. And then there are other days where you're like, I'm still having these conversations. Really? God, you know? So I think that it depends. Um, and that's, that's part of being a warrior for, for DEI efforts is to know that you have to pick your sword up and fight the battle again another day. Right. But I, I do think that I would tell my younger self and I definitely am a single mom. I've, I've lived a non-traditional life. I never got married. I had my child on my own. I've been her mom and dad and everything in, in between. And I've reared my daughter, at least I've attempted to, 
to speak up in the moment, right? And I've, I've always told her it's okay because she's she's shy. We're both shy, actually. Um, it's okay if your voice is a little trembly. It's okay if your hands are sweaty or shaking. It's okay if you have a little bit of a stomach ache later because it's important for you to hear yourself stand up for yourself. Like it's that's important to 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 do the right thing by yourself. Just just between yourself, just between you and yourself. That's very important. And I've and I tell that to her and her girlfriends who crowd my house all the time and any other young people I can speak to when I speak to them is it is absolutely valid for you to stand up for yourself or for you to call something out in the moment. And I think that I would I would have loved to have been told that when I was, you know, catching flack, which is, you know, what I did my whole career. And, and I, and I was, I think when I look back at myself, I think I was a bit courageous, but I, I definitely swallowed a lot of stuff that I I wouldn't swallow today. And I would never expect anyone around me to swallow. Right. And, and I always kind of, I always do kind of do a checkpoint. You can ask, you know, anybody on my team, oh my goodness, I don't manage you guys like that. Do I? you know, uh-huh. oh goodness, you guys don't feel this way, right? Because I just had this weird or horrible experience. And then and then that creates a whole other dialogue where I learn how to be a hopefully a better manager and a better leader. So it's just a it's a constant, it's a constant process, right? And that's where the patience comes in, the humility, the acceptance of yourself when you make errors, your effort to be accountable for your errors. Um, and then just again, just always fighting the good fight. Wow. Your daughter and her friends are very lucky to have that advice. <laughs> yeah. That's something I need to hear right now. And it's kind of like an epiphany. Like if I have to do right by myself too, even if it's not, I don't say yeah. it in the most polished way. It's sometimes about just voicing it and hearing your voice. So I love that. I'm going <laughs> to, that really meant a lot. So I really appreciate you sharing that. I, lo- I love the way that you recapped it. It's important to hear your own voice. That's that you said it perfectly for me. That's exactly it. Well, Nicole, Mila and I had so much fun and learned so much talking to you. We're so glad you came on our podcast. Yeah, thank oh, you so much. It was such a pleasure. You both are beautiful. I'm so so pleased to have been invited. Thank you for having me. Of course. And Mila, for Stellar Woman, I'm Mary Rick Torres. And I'm Mila Taylor. Signing off. <laughs>